Hey everybody, this is Zach. Hey everyone, this is <laughs> the other person that isn't Zach. Yeah, this Richard is, is back. <laughs> this is the, the OG host, OG yeah. Richard. I'm hoping that since I'm older now, my voice records uh, a little bit less nasally, but we'll see. <laughs> I might have to just like go with the chest voice. Well, you know, uh, it's it's funny with with you coming back. Um, yeah, like I think we were discussing, we want to do a whole little mini series of episodes on. Well, I had to come back, Zach. Like you, you sent a bomb to my house, and you said <laughs> if I don't show up on the podcast, it's gonna blow, and I'm afraid to even like go kick the box. That's just a bunch of sawdust and shavings. <laughs> it did smell really nice. Yeah, like, like a pine shavings box. So it's probably right. <laughs> But uh, yeah, th so this is your uh, devisement, the the, uh, the uh, mini series of uh, Resident Evil coverage, basically. Mm -hmm. So we're going to start off with the first uh, with you back in the saddle. <laughs> yep, yep. Uh, but I guess first, uh, do you want to discuss what you've been doing? Um, the sure. Memes. Yeah, the me me me. Um, Did you want to go first? I think we could go. Yeah, I could go team? first. Yeah, we can kind of like keep it pretty loose. So, okay. uh, well, since uh, last I showed up, um, well, with a new refresh take initially, like coming here on the Mimi Mies uh, <laughs> into this segment, I have a new awareness and a foundational respect. Because originally, when I was recording these, I was working talked with Zach about this, uh, working 911 at the time. And so usually I I just rolled out of bed about an hour or two after that, downed a monster energy drink, maybe had Zach bring me some food and um, when well, he was feeling nice and uh, recorded it. So I was pretty exhausted. So a lot of it was sort of off the cuff and whatever I was able to sort of jumble together, yeah. hoping to uh, be a bit more contributing member at least here and <laughs> that that does mean i have some extra cpu cycles to think about the nature of uh, of how i uh, approach it and uh, the kind of jokes that maybe i don't want to make because yeah this is out there now and i'm, I'm a i'm <laughs> yeah. a real i'm a real boy now with a real job so not that 911 wasn't a real job but there was less like uh i guess any kind of pressure since I work for, you know, big corporate entity and et cetera. But, um, yeah, so now I'm working in dev development since last on. Uh, I help build websites and things like that. Uh, it's a lot of fun. Um, been doing that for about a year. Um, working from home like the rest of us, well, like a majority of, of schlubs um, and existing in this state of, you know, domesticity, uh, with possibly your partner and maybe your kids and all that and I, I feel for you but um it's pretty chill i uh, work um i'm here working remotely and um yeah and then i just relax and i'm in the exact same place so it's been a bit <laughs> of an adjustment period that there's no like division between work and home for me well it's uh, funny before the pandemic people were all like we should do telework and then everyone got their wish 
mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's less of a blessing than you'd expect. It oh, to be. <laughs> it's 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 definitely a, a, a monkey's paw scenario. Yeah, it's like yeah, you can do telework, but that little that little thing that you created a couple years ago, they're going to be here too because <laughs> they can't go to school. So welcome to this fresh new hell. Yeah. Uh, so I I know anecdotally, you know, there's a lot of people who had to. Uh, teach from home and help kids do i can't even imagine sitting a four-year-old in front of a webcam no or you know like a six seven-year-old in front of a webcam and be like hey you need to pay attention <laughs> like what kind of engagement is that can you imagine how many sessions occurred and i guess this is topical for me 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 because it's you know it's been our our shared experience it should be called us 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 really us, us, uh, yeah sure sure yeah for this this segment but can you imagine how many different times it occurred where a kid was zooming in to like their first secondary class. And then they just opened up like YouTube in their tab and they just started watching like a YouTube movie <laughs> in the middle of like a session. They're watching like an opening of those little like egg animal things. Yeah. Um, those egg surprises. Uh, Did they ever resolve? I know there was an issue with kids doing zoom school that they had to a lot of school systems in different states had to like scramble to set up like a more secure pipeline because zoom technically like people can just well the problem the problem is is that you have to it's one of those things that security initially for setting something up is optional so you when you set up a zoom because i was in uh a school environment right when COVID sort of started up and we had already been using Zoom. Uh, and then everybody else jumped on board to the Zoom train because, you know, it was a tool and utility that was available. And I should have bought Zoom stock at the time if they're, if they're an IPO. Oh, like but, the senators? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so um, the issue is, is when you're first initially setting up a session, like you don't have to make it with a password. Like it doesn't have to be password protected. So that's the default. And so that means that anybody with the link can just hop on into a meeting when if because all they'd have to do is like just rando generate because there's like an algorithm for generating the little hash code at the end there. So they could just like rando into that and then pop right in. Or if more targeted, if like you see that, hey, this place is publishing their Zoom link or whatever, scrubbing it like, yeah, let me pop into this this uh, lecture, you know, that's happening here and just like fuck around because there was a city council meeting somewhere in California last year where uh, during the, the actual meeting, they had to cancel it because people were just blasting porn into the feed, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and that's why security is very important. Yes. Uh, Because I know before there was, you had to set up a password, but it's been so long since I've utilized it. I forget exactly how that was set up because there was another there was another component to it that made it easier for people to get in. Um, but I, I can't really remember it at the time. But I, yeah, they did resolve that. Uh, okay. Yeah, it was one of those things where imagine you make a tool like utility and you're like, oh, people are going to use this, whatever. And then everyone uses it all at once. <laughs> And so whoever it was on the Zoom dev team, like my heart feels for you because that was just a hellacious increase 
in, uh, yeah, in I'm sure that there are bugs that pop up here and there when like a thousand people use it, but then when mm -hmm. 300 million people start using it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, there's different, there's a whole different kind of scale. Luckily with like, I'm, I'm assuming they're probably built on like a microservice architecture. Oh, sure. Where like, uh, and so I won't go too in, into that, but you can get it to back in the day, uh, you'd have like a server that runs like a process. So like if you needed to collect, connect to like a bunch of different hosts or clients and you needed to run like chat services, one of the setups would be like relocated on one server. And so then if you needed to up that, you know, if you didn't have access to somebody else to provide you additional serving duties, you needed to get another server, you know, so you had to physically like put it together and yeah. get all that stuff. And now with microservices, you can just run like an instance on some, cloud server and then if a hundred more people join in it just spins up other instances like dynamically yeah so but even even that thinking of like the architecture of scale had to be insane um so yeah working new environment uh fun stuff that isn't work um <laughs> yeah um i've been trying to foster my different interests so setting up a little recording environment here at the house is something um, I've been trying to do for a little bit. My wife has moved into the office as well because uh, originally she was in the living room, uh, which I think is better for her mental health uh, as long as I don't make too much noise because apparently we can both be sort of on meetings uh, in my respect because I don't really care who hears her talking in the background. Um, <laughs> she doesn't. She's not giving state secrets. But apparently the people that she works with are much more curious when they hear someone talking in the background, which I, I guess is understandable. Uh, They're like, who's that? Is that, is that another voice? And I was like, ah. Oh. So yeah. she usually has to get up and take her meetings in another room, which is, is sad. Oh, that's potatoes. unfortunate. It's sad potatoes because she has so many more meetings. Usually I, I really don't have that many. So because um, we're kind of a small dev team. But um. Yeah, uh, been playing Forza Horizon 4 recently a little bit. That is a hell of a lot of fun. Uh, I originally got that game when shortly after COVID. No, shortly after I started my school for web development. Mm -hmm. And um, then I just I felt really guilty about playing games when I should be either doing schoolwork or then eventually looking for jobs. So I played it for about 15 minutes. And then I just, I'm pretty sure I just uninstalled it because it was taking up a lot of space. And uh, getting back into that, so it's really fun to just veg out and drive really, really fast. So. Well, yeah, <clears throat> over the week when you were telling me that you were uh, playing this game, my only experience with it, or not with this game specifically, but a similar one is the uh, Gran Turismo series. And... Uh, yeah, the, the things you were describing about the fiddly nature of, <laughs> of Forza that you can go into, I appreciate that. Because in, in mm. uh, uh, you know, Gran Turismo, I think it's three or four, maybe, um, there were certain races that you could not access without tweaking certain aspects of your car. Mm -hmm. Whereas, you know, Forza, it sounds like you can just, yeah, no, if you want to play with that, that, you know, fiddly number crunching game you mm -hmm. can <laughs> if you just want to go fat go real fast in a pretty environment you can do yeah. that as well 
Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, the approach I make right now is you just have different environments like off-roading. You have like things which require you to drift a little more or uh, really the biggest component is like off-roading or paving so far as I've noticed has a big difference between the two. So if you try to use, you know, like a sports vehicle, like some kind of Lamborghini or some of the other really high-end brands um, in like an off-roading, you're going to have a bad time because <laughs> the wheels, nothing is designed. You're just slipping and sliding and getting no traction. Whereas something that is designed for off-roading obviously does really well there. It actually also does pretty good uh, in just regular racing um, as well. If you're just kind of like just driving around, but okay. driving your really expensive concept car in the dirt is the really bad experience. Pagani Zonda. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really terrible. So you you don't even have to tweak too much for different races. Um, I imagine if you're competing against other people online, there's probably like tweak yeah. heads and like you're really centering that stuff in. And there's I'm just touching the surface of the game because it's. It's one of those things that's been out a couple years, so there's a lot of additional content. Oh, like sure. I, I bumped into the Legoland area, which is uh, <laughs> you're amazing. sharing screenshots. It's... It kind of looks weird. Like, can you race those cars against like a Lamborghini and a BMW and <laughs> like yeah, real cars? Yeah. I don't see why not. When you're in the Legoland too, like you're in a Lego car, but some most of the traffic I was seeing was just regular cars. So like my that little Lego car just like smashed into like someone's like sedan who's just like <laughs> in my mind they're just like driving home from work just like oh had a really tough day and I'm just deciding to go 180 miles per hour like into their front end just to see what happens. <laughs> I do kind of wish they had the uh, you can turn off the car damage but if there isn't anything like in you know like rush back on N64, yeah, where like, yeah, yeah. if you hit too hard, your car just, like, explodes. Yeah. That doesn't seem to happen, at least as far oh. as what I've seen. Well, I was because... wondering if the Lego car, like, if Lego pieces come <laughs> flying off of it. If you, if you hit other Lego breakable things that are supposed to break, they do smash into, like, a bunch of okay. Lego pieces. And that's really cool. You hit some stuff, though, in Lego Land, <laughs> like these trees and stuff, and you just do, they just you just smack right into them. Like they're like really well joined pieces. Like those have been super glued by like the Lego Master, so that you can't smash through them or anything <laughs> like that. But that was, um, yeah, that was wondrous because the initial intro, it's like driving into like the Legoland movie or something. It's just they knew exactly like, hey, this is ridiculous. We're just gonna port all of our engine, all the drift component stuff, the whole physics, but make all these little cars Legos. So it works a little bit better than the uh, what was it in, in um, Mario Kart the uh, Mercedes? Yeah, yeah, those are weird. They just look weird. Like, yeah, yeah, it looks strange. It, it it looks bizarre in, yeah. <laughs> in Mario Kart. Yeah, because the problem with that, uh, I think, in a situation like that, is you're you have a certain game aesthetic that you've already established for all the designs for the vehicles, but then you have like a branding deal, like a branding combo yeah. deal. So you, you need to have the brand features. Yeah. Uh, so it would be like if you had... Um, well, it's easier to, to do something silly mm -hmm. in a game that's meant to be serious than vice versa. Yeah, and I think the, the aesthetics really clash 
really hard because in this Legoland one, like the cars are just full Lego. Right. You know, there's they don't have to like middle in between. Um, and your character, when you see them driving around, is a little Lego avatar. But then your actual like other avatar is still like represented in the game, like however you design your regular human. So I was hoping we'd see like my actual human person inside the Lego car. But no, you that's exactly what you see. They just, just yeah, it, it makes it a Lego person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um yeah, that's great. Uh yeah, resaw Venom one yesterday and then went to go see Venom two. Uh that was an interesting it's uh entertaining movies it's i don't know how many other movies uh for venom 2 uh what's his name has directed um is it from lord of the rings let's see it's not peter jackson is it no 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 it's uh andy circus oh oh wait venom 2 is directed (laughs) by andy circus It is. It is directed by Andy Serkis. Yeah. Holy uh, shit. I had no idea. <laughs> Which I don't feel like there's... It doesn't seem like there's much of... I thought there'd be more like a, a directorial imprint in in relation to that. Right. Like I thought, oh, this is going to feel kind of... I don't really know specifically because I don't know any of his other directorial work or anything like that. So I, I didn't have an expectation as to how kind of different it would have been, but I did expect it to be different. But tonally, it felt really just a lot more like Venom 1. So there wasn't like a huge tonal shift in, in that regard. Well, that's good. I mean, we were I was telling you off mic that, you know, I, I really enjoyed the first Venom. I, I can't mm-hmm. wait to see the second one. But, um, you know, just him him being thoroughly disgusting because he's sick and infected with a parasite the entire film um Mm -hmm. like that's a bold choice to take tom hardy and be like yeah let's let's take him but make him really gross (laughs) for for two hours he's just going to be the sweatiest grossest person alive (laughs) yeah he takes off his shirt and he just looks like he's just been standing on the corner like in a mid like august day just sweating it up and it's like dried too so it's like caked in yeah. So like if you scrape that residue and like put it in like a cup, it would come out like a coke. Way. Yeah. Yeah. Like a <laughs> it'd come out like a cloak uh, coke colored consistency. Um yeah, and he throws up in the first movie and you see chunks, just chunks. Go. Oh yeah. Yeah. I did notice something when re watching the first one yesterday. I don't remember in the theatrical release, because I saw the first one in theaters, where they do the head bite scene, the initial first venom head bite. I thought that took place where they like cut. And so you just see like people's reaction, but you, you may have seen the director's cut. It was, it was weird. I, I saw you, the, the UHD version oh, okay. um, and whatever was hosted on, on Amazon prime, but there was a director's cut with like special extras, which I was just trying to rewatch it. And I didn't want to have to like also rewatch it. Cause we had like a time frame. Yeah, before the uh, the second movie started, and we had to go see it. So, oh, you were I, doing a Russian watch. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I had to rewatch it. We had to eat dinner, and then we had to go see uh, Venom Two in the theaters. So it's uh, I don't remember that head bite scene. I just remember it like cutting away, and that being like a thing because they wanted to like skirt the PG thirteen yeah exactly. R kind of rating. 
which I, I sort of get um, in one respect, like, you know, Venom isn't really like Carnage as like an anti-hero. Like, yeah, he eats, has eaten people, um, at least when he first debuted. I know this, the character yeah. has a lot, a lot more story now um, and history and different people that have worn the suits and, and all that. Um, but even some of the segments like with Carnage, I was like, ah, I mean, is it really necessary uh, even though I'd love to see like a really sadistic and sinister uh, Woody Harrelson again on screen, is it really necessary to like go full serial killer vibes uh, like you would in the comics in that period of time? Because also yeah. the '90s was like a little intense uh, with some of the uh, the violence. Because I mean, they were trying to compete with a lot of other media. Yeah, I don't know. I and be a little more adult. Part of me, like, I understand that they want to get as many asses in seats as possible, and that's why you go with a PG-13. Um, mm-hmm. Do people really pay attention to the ratings anymore? For I think like it really... Kids, even? It really only matters with the kids. Like, hmm. I, I, I honestly, I don't think an adult really cares whether Venom is PG-13 or R. They just care if it's yeah. entertaining. Um well, I'm like, saying, do parents even like keep track of that for kids? Because you know, like with Netflix and shit, like you can just watch like softcore porn on it with what the the Polish movie that they they bought and put out. Well, there's uh, Netflix for kids, man. Come on, you, you're missing on a whole yeah, different. Yeah, but I mean, twelve year olds not going to watch Netflix for kids. <laughs> it kind of depends. I don't know. The parenting is a uh, it's a more. Um, I guess in today's age is a little more open to your individual, like always, but yeah, a little more openly. Um, yeah. However you want to approach it from, from that standpoint. The thing is though, I imagine if you had carnage and he was just like sadistic and terrible and like leaving people hung up, like without any flesh on them or anything like that. And just coming in and like murdering a bunch of people. Um, yeah. Little Timmy would, I guess have a nightmare or something. I don't yeah. really care. I watched terrible, yeah. horrible stuff growing up as well, and you're fine, really. Yeah, same. I mean, we I think we have similar backgrounds and in, in the types of movies that we consumed as kids, yeah. and I would say that we're fine. Yeah, I saw Hellraiser <laughs> as a very young person growing up, and I was yeah. like, this is amazing. <laughs> like, How can I call a Cinebite? <laughs> I want to just hang out with these guys. They're kind of cool. Oh, and they're like... They're kind of uh, like vigilantes taking down these people that kind of suck. Oh, that's yeah. kind of cool. Um, especially because, like, the funny thing about some of the initial arcs, not to get too far into it, but um, the Cenobites would show up often when, like, the regular protagonist was, like, in a really shitty situation. Like, they're going to die. Yeah. And so it's like, oh, well, I guess if I'm going to die, maybe if I call the Cenobites, they might do something about this. Because they're like, these interdimensional judges yeah you know um i so can't I like, say that only one and two are worth watching really no that's not true that's not true at all <laughs> I, really the, the rest of them are worth are okay? the rest of them are worth watching if you just want to see them do really weird things <laughs> <laughs> if you want like really awkward moments where like the characters 
are, you know, especially Pinhead being conversed with and trying to be convinced to be a certain way or seeing like Pinhead turn on some of the other Cenobites, yeah. I think happens in one of the later movies. Um, so they're not great movies, but they do have interesting scenes, which is what, what I'll say. Um, well, then there's... you know, um, they, they did a uh, Hellraiser comic um, mm-hmm. that, that had a lot of different bleed over from um, all of Clive Barker's stuff. So like he's going after like a Barker verse sort of. Yeah, it's like a Barker verse because um, Harry Demore, mm-hmm. who was the um, who played him. Yeah, Scott Bakula. Uh, in uh, from Lord of Illusions is like one of the major characters in the book. Oh, so really? There's there's this like weird connection um, in that comic that's actually really decent. I'd recommend yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, the Lord of Illusions was a a weird one. I, I remember watching that also as a kid because I mean, what else was I watching? Yeah, um, what what else were you going to watch at one in the morning when HBO was playing it for the fifth time that day? <laughs> yeah, through my my or TNT, TNT even for a while would like just play it after ten p.m. <laughs> oh yeah, TNT was a fave. Yeah, I won't go too too hard into that because there's a lot of there's a lot of nostalgia to mine there. Yeah, um, yeah. So what enjoyed watching Venom one and two these uh, romance comedies. Um, there's so much fan art for Venom and Eddie Brock together. Which is kind of weird, but, I mean, he is inside of him already, so... Yeah, I mean, if someone was inside of me 24-7, we better be close, you know, so... (laughs) Otherwise, it's going to get really uncomfortable very fast. Exactly. Um, Yeah, I think in the comics, you know, Eddie even talks about it being like a marriage between the two of them. And I did notice... With um, initially with like Venom One, like Brock fucks it up with his uh, his lady friend, you know, his love interest, because he's like there's not enough give and take in their relationship. Like he's very focused on doing these certain things, mm-hmm. and you know he'll even kind of screw her over in that regard because he's just so you know pigheaded and just stubborn based on what he wants to do. Like nobody can tell him uh, you know anything other other than that. And so then he gets a symbiote where they have like a, you know, sim- obviously a symbiotic relationship. Um, but it's uh, a lot of give and take there. Like he's got to negotiate with Venom, uh, set up like a set of rules. But he also has to realize that like Venom has needs, you know, for eating brains. And in the second movie, they establish like it's brains and like chocolate. They both have like this chemical in them. That apparently the symbiotes need to survive. I forget what it's called, but um, that's like lore establishing. I'm like, oh, because <laughs> then he's just he's just biting off a lot of heads. He just likes to bite off heads, which is entertaining. Yeah. But it's like, okay, why specifically just the heads? And, <laughs> and so in the second one, Eddie has to just try to get him to subsist on chocolate and chicken heads, which um, <laughs> is hilarious because you think about the size of like a chicken brain. Yeah. <laughs> And Venom, you know, even remarks, he's like, oh, I, I beg to, to differ whether they have brains or not. Because um, <laughs> imagine you're just huge symbiotic creature. You have like a eight pound or five pound, however heavy it is, human brain. And then you have a chicken brain, which is probably like a couple almonds, you know, stuck together. Yeah. 
And so you would definitely get really angry if all you got to eat was just chicken brains. Yeah. So it, it's interesting, interesting uh, set of films. So that's kind of what I've been doing recently. And okay. I'll, I'll kind of button it up on that. Okay. Uh, well, yeah, I, I got three uh, three movies to talk about, really. I, uh, <laughs> I'm going to say... Only three? Why ones. not four? <laughs> um, so I... Uh, my wife and I watched um, Pet Cemetery from 2019. Oh, that new so, one. I haven't yeah, seen that yet. So, I haven't seen that one yet. Okay, so so I, without spoilers, it's it is a reimagining of it, but it a hundred percent has that classic like Stephen King feel to it. Like mm-hmm. they they did the smart thing and changed some elements of the story. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously the graveyard still raises things from the dead. <laughs> <laughs> but they they've shifted around stuff mm-hmm. um so that even the, even if you've you know read the book or, or short story whichever it is or seen the original movie like you're still going to you know have a good time in the movie and be like oh okay i wasn't expecting this to happen that's cool that's nice. <laughs> um, they're uh, they apparently greenlit a prequel for paramount plus um oh man paramount I, plus I, I hate it with this walled garden bullshit. Um, like I understand. I, I, that I don't are... mind if it's available somewhere else, but when it's like just super exclusive, yeah. I, and yeah, I guess and that's what... my thing is like Paramount Plus and what is it Peacock and VRV. It's like man, just you need to put it up on like Disney or Netflix or Hulu or something. Like come oh, on, man. or give it to Apple. Like like even Apple. Like I am an apple fanboy i don't have apple plus mm-hmm. um th- the shows that they put out look amazing um, yeah yeah they're just, throwing a lot of money towards production yeah i mean they yeah. have lots of money for production <laughs> but like paramount plus what else is on paramount plus other than star trek stuff star trek stuff and Wayne's um, World? i guess i <laughs> I've never been curious enough to look at the catalog. I'm not like, you know what? Let me see what's on Paramount Plus. All I'm saying is Paramount Plus sounds lame. Um, like, yeah. let's get some variety in there. Yeah. Um, well, then there's all these like network shows, and there's definitely an audience for streaming of network, you know, network shows. Like, if people yeah. want to watch, you know, Friends for the 80th time. Like, okay, sure. I mean, it's your life. You can do what yeah. you want. You know, <laughs> if you want to watch The Office again, that's great too. I probably understand that a little bit more. But um, yeah, there's comfort content. And so, I don't know, that, that doesn't really seem, at least for me, like the kind of media that really interests me to right. a great degree. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they, they don't really have, I mean, I guess Paramount paramount is also cbs right yeah yeah so so that you're right they do have the the netflix we're obviously not angling for a sponsorship with paramount plus so yeah just shooting ourselves we're not gonna get one (laughs) we won't uh, now zach i uh you know i i highly recommend pet cemetery uh another one that i watched did did you ever see the um pet cemetery also has like a real cosmic justice kind of element to it to thinking about it. Uh, it yeah i mean it does um 
At least the original one I watched when like the kid comes back and he's like trying to guide him. Like, don't do this. Like, don't do that. Like you shouldn't try to bring people back. You just need to like, let it go or it's, it's going to screw you over. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, uh, you know, maybe not being a parent, I I don't connect. Like I bounce off of certain aspects of, of the movies, but, um, I, I do. If you like the original, um, I would recommend watching the remake kind of Mm -hmm. like the, uh, the child's play movie. Um, that oh, was yeah, yeah. really, really good. Way better yeah. than it had any right to be. Well, it seemed like they were really, just from the marketing perspective, because that's also another one I haven't seen. Um, from a marketing perspective, they seem to really want to approach that last Child's Play um, film in a fun way. Like They're like, hey, like people, yeah. they want to have fun watching this. Like, right. So yeah, that seemed to be kind of its, its edge. Yeah, yeah. Um, now the other thing that I saw was, uh, Beverly Hills Cop 2. Did you ever watch the, uh, the Beverly Hills Cop franchise? Uh, yeah, I watched the first one and probably the second one. So I think you I, 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 I can date things though. Like I can date them based on, have I seen this since VHS? <laughs> and that's one of those things that I have not seen since VHS was the main medium. So it was on television. I think I was visiting my parents and it, it just happened to be on and I was watching. And um, Tony Scott has this love affair with the, the golden hour, right? And so the last, I would say, half of that movie is just nothing but sunset in LA. <laughs> so just with this like visual kind of yeah like everything is orange and it's uh, it's kind of hazy although that that could just be the amounts of cocaine that were on the set just kind of lingering in the air I, it's it's like dusted like, up dusted up the lens yeah that, well i mean that's what it looks like Ev- everywhere inside is very very dusty and and just kind of orange yeah um and uh yeah i mean it's it's fun if you've you've uh, never seen it um I don't Who know Vaseline's if... up the lens. What is that effect for? Thinking of like obscuring the lens. Oh, that's um, you do that if you're trying to get like a like a glamour shot, like a glamour headshot type thing. Uh huh. Um, or you can do it. Uh, do you do the whole lens or just like a little like perimeter or? No, just like a little perimeter of where you're shooting. Oh, um, you okay. can do what. Uh, I don't. I don't know if George Lucas did this or not in. <laughs> star wars but for the the speeder effects you can just uh-huh. kind of smear some underneath the lens and that's how he got made it look like the speeder was, was oh that's really cool i'm imagining in my head like okay who has like hey let's stick some vaseline on the lens here and then they had to be like okay one guy on set just had like a jar just like with him he's like yeah i just have this <laughs> like, doesn't everybody have one like in their pocket yeah <laughs> interesting um and then the the last thing because i'm i'm moving quickly through these because i know we we have we still have a, a a very long game to talk about <laughs> is um uh lxg did you ever see the league of extraordinary gentlemen um that was one i i've seen scenes of it on like comedy central wait on comedy central 
The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen? Yeah. Are you thinking the other one? I'm thinking the uh, the Ben Stiller one. What was that one called? Where they're all like That's superheroes? Mystery, mystery Men. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, You're talking me... about the one that was originally like a comic series or... Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So okay. it... Um... Not seen that at all. Yeah, it's... it's um... It's the reason why Sean Connery um, retired. <laughs> um, because he, so apparently he was approached for the role of Gandalf. Didn't understand the script he was reading and mm-hmm. said no. And then that movie blew up. So he said, I will accept. I don't have to understand it. I'll accept the next like fantasy sci-fi thing. Mm-hmm. And he gets the script and he agrees to do, to be a uh, Alan Quartermain. Mm-hmm. And then the movie comes out and it bombs. And then oh, yeah. no more movies for Connery after that. Like he was just like, I obviously do not understand this business anymore. I'm going <laughs> to peace out. Right. Yeah. And he's um, been retired for a bit. So, I mean, it's. Well, I mean, power he's, he's dead now. <laughs> well, yeah. When did he die again? Cause he was retired for a bit uh, last year. I think. Yeah. yeah so yeah, he was retired for a while. Yeah. Um I think that was the smart choice. Just enjoy your retirement. Yeah, he died on Halloween last year. Yeah. Yeah. Um but uh Yeah, no, the uh the so the movie itself like it's kind of like it's a very 2000s movie, right? Uh-huh. Um, it doesn't seem like it, it's adapting elements of the comic series. Honestly, mm-hmm. I think Alan Moore's comic series is largely unfilmable for the same reasons that, um, like Dune is mm-hmm. largely unfilmable. Yeah. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. I can't wait to see this new Dune adaptation, but like there are certain works, I think that, like they're meant to be represented in words mm-hmm. right and if you try to visualize those elements it it really just kind of i don't know falls apart like it's, mm-hmm. it's stuff that can't really translate uh as well um not that you know league of extraordinary gentlemen is on the same par or level or whatever is dune so some um, of the same kind of issues but it's yeah. the same kind of issues like there there are chunks of the comic book where <sighs> there's like this extra dimensional pocket world that people report to for for things and the the volume itself comes with uh, 3d glasses because the images on those pages are so obscured that you have mm-hmm. to wear them to actually see what's going on <laughs> Mm -hmm. um you think it just has to do with like uh like conceptually having to build things up in a way that it just doesn't work as well in the the film medium it would it would be better i think if they had a series of films but i don't think a hollywood studio is going to commit to a series of 200 million dollar movies yeah um something about film too i think it thinking about it it's almost like you um as a medium it almost has to be sort of stream of consciousness yeah sort of ish because you're watching something unfold 
in real time as it's happening. And so you have to be able to connect things in that way. Um, and there's, I guess if I was going to go through like an Alan Moore comic and I needed to reread it or go through, like I can do that really easily or even like a passage. Like I can reread that passage, but oh, I don't understand exactly what happened here. Cause sometimes that would happen. But like, how did this bit of action occur? And it's so internal in your head, like you're connecting these dots together and you're being given all that you need from a detail perspective to like build up these concepts in a way that's like cohesive in your mind. Whereas like in a film, it's like you have to present almost like a, like a slice of reality there that you're presenting and it has to connect in a really, yeah. Every time someone tries to go like, Oh, let me take. And I see this a lot too with, uh, with different kind of mm, recent forms of narrative without getting into other series where people really dislike exposition segments in films. Like they don't like being talked to for like five to 10 minutes. Yeah. Um, They hate it, Uh, which I'm I'm neither here nor there. If it's, if it's an interesting kind of discussion or talking about something that needs to happen, or there's interesting chemistry between the two actors, whoever there, then that makes sense. Um, But translating, I guess, you know, kind of things like that into, um, into film format is, is kind of difficult. I think. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean the, um, so what do you think is kind of the, like, well, so he, he does a lot of things like playing with the format. Like I said, having a volume come out where you have to have 3d specs to actually see what's going on mm-hmm. in the artwork. Um, a lot of his characters, um, lettering, I understand takes, way too much time because characters will speak with different fonts oh yeah yeah i've seen that yeah yeah so Mm -hmm. so like he he um i think when he was doing from hell um would would uh instruct artists to like lay out actual crime scenes for some scenes of the thing and then draw on top of it but make it look comic booky so it's got this weird feel to it so like someone like that who's constantly playing with the form of the media that's coming out like yeah, yeah. I, I don't know how well their work would translate to a different medium that they have no experience doing <laughs> yeah it you makes know? a lot of sense um but i mean the the movie is entertaining um it's it's like any other 2000 superhero movie honestly like people make fun of it but like is it any worse than like I don't know, Blade or Daredevil. Hey, hey, there's nothing wrong with the first Blade. Or Get Electra. Out of here. Oh, okay, Blade Blade Trinity. Forgive me. That that that's that came out a little bit around the same year. <laughs> Blade Trinity is definitely a basket case of things. Yeah, and I've like, I've never seen Electra. I have seen some of Daredevil. Yeah, I I unfortunately went to see Electra. It is not good. Not good. <laughs> that that was the state of comic book fans twenty years ago. So just like ultimate disappointment. And then you had to hear like, yeah, nerd, see this stuff doesn't work. Like, yeah, oh. exactly. Oh, it feels bad, man. I promise. I promise they're cool in the comics. <laughs> <laughs> well, with that, <laughs> why don't we break nerd into tears. Uh, Resident Evil? Yes. Yes. Nerd tears are the best thing to lubricate moving into another segment. So question for you how Mm -hmm. long do you think this game was in development 
Uh, RE1? Yeah. The remake itself? No, no, no. Just just the original first. Oh. The um, one that came out uh, March of 1996. I don't know. I'd say from a production standpoint, I think they tried a couple different approaches. Um, and they had to sort of, uh, you know, deal with the limitations of the hardware at the time and et cetera. Yeah. So depending on that, that, that might've extended production time. So, so from what I can see, uh, development started in early 1993, mm-hmm. which with a release date of, with a release date of 1996. Okay. Like they, actually... they planned on it taking about three years that's actually not that long from like a game perspective yeah no it's mm-hmm. it's not that long. it's much longer than i thought because with um when you looked at the graphics again <laughs> well no with, with just with playstation games in general because there mm-hmm. was only what is it 700 megs worth of space that you mm-hmm. can put on a on a cd-rom um production was a lot shorter than it is now like that three-year mark, granted, mm-hmm. I don't work in video game development, but that three-year mark to me seems more in line with like production today than in the CD-ROM era. Yeah. Um, yeah. But regardless, um, it was, uh, let's see, it was inspired by a an NES game called Sweet Home i've never played or heard of there's an unrelated uh webcomic and netflix show called sweet home that is also spooky and scary interesting Um, but it was supposed to be a 3d remake of that game um did they get the license for that and then it just didn't go through yeah that's just what they were thinking well that's that's what what shinji mikami wanted to make because he Mm -hmm. apparently fell in love with that game um Mm -hmm. but then he played alone in the dark and i don't know if you've played the original alone in the dark um it's uh so sweet home apparently is first person alone in the dark is this third person fixed background you just interact with things it's almost like an adventure game that your character is the cursor to where you're like adjusting pieces of the screen to like in searching for for uh like a click and click and play game yeah yeah exactly okay um and so so that's interesting you make that point but yeah continue well yeah and and so mikami played that and then just said okay we're scrapping first person we're going to use a fixed view camera like a movie Mm -hmm. um one of the things that they they were going to try which i i'm glad they moved away from because honestly I, i prefer these games to be single player is that they were going to work in a, a co-op mode, but they, they just pulled it for disk space reasons. Um, at the time, another little factoid, and then we can get to actual gameplay. Um, so Capcom had uh, two, not, not just one, but two of the most expensive mocap studios around and offered to let Mikami make this, but he didn't know how to make it, so he said no thanks. I I don't know why he would turn down resources like that, but he's like, nah, I don't know how to do that. That's fine. <laughs> nah, I'll figure I'm it good. out. I'm good. <laughs> now uh the artwork for this 
sticks out in my head just because I I am um, I had a, a friend that had the long box. You remember how PS1 games used to have like it used to, to be a long tall box, kind of like a switch game. Uh-huh. But it was extended. Because yeah. obviously the disc is larger than a switch cartridge. Yeah. Um you flap so it open the little clamshell thing. Mm-hmm. And um that like chunked together look that that uh they achieve with that cover of like chris cocking the shotgun and it looks like one eye is like bulging out of his head <laughs> um so that was done by a guy named bill sinkevitz and he did a lot of the vampire masquerade stuff a lot of role-playing game stuff a lot of comic work mm-hmm. um and he's kind of known for that that chunked up weird looking <laughs> creepy like things falling apart type feel um and yeah so that's all i have for pre-production for for the actual post um i did see that they the only reason that we got a director's cut was as an apology from the development team because of re2 being delayed in 1997 well okay yeah 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 um, the director's cut's interesting because they changed that. That's the one that I owned, but I I played the original long box version, which, god damn, it was difficult. <laughs> um, but uh, the the director's cut uh, was released, like I said, as an apology. They changed um, item and enemy locations, so you couldn't just play through and know where everything was again. Mm-hmm. Um, they had wardrobes for characters. The um, pistol was changed to have an increased chance to decapitate zombies um and then the og version was included as well as beginner mode which was easier enemies and uh twice as many ammo drops it's 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 interesting with that the director's cut kind of giving them a chance to revisit yeah some of the material um and then living in the the remake universe that we do now with a lot of their their stuff where you kind of just have like remake like a new iteration and it, it it's starting so early with like yeah let's we'll do this director's cut we'll sort of resell you this game again but it's because we're yeah. still working on the next one which i mean capcom isn't new to that i mean yeah. there's there's like 30 different editions of super street fighter 2 so yeah well the the thing about the the director's cut that was fascinating to me is that there's different versions of it mm-hmm. <laughs> that are not really labeled very like you have to look for the differences so like mm-hmm. the original came out in 97 um the dual shock version was released in 98 with no updated packaging uh, mm-hmm. but it had control changes and then a new score added <laughs> like wow just to replace just the whole of- score yeah, okay. you just kind of shove that in and, and mm-hmm. off you go. Um, so a lot of people did not like it. Um, you know, Metacritic, it averaged at about 91 between the two. Um, mm-hmm. The original um, 1996 release uh, has a an 87% on game rankings. The director's cut only has a 76%. Uh, and the reason for that is so many people complained about the original cut i think um, mm. and how difficult it was to kill zombies that they for the director's cut they added auto aim to all uh, of yeah yeah so yeah still the a big component really yeah it's still an original component in a lot of the the tank control 
versions having auto aim where you can switch on and off yeah um i can't imagine really not having that dependent on the situation like it really depends on one how much you want to devote into getting really skilled at a particular game to like learn all the mechanics and sort of master them mm-hmm. to where you're like oh the the challenge of having to aim and if i aim 10 degrees to the left or the right in this hallway like it's not going to hit him i gotta i gotta hit him like square on yeah and it won't also i but i think the biggest component of that is really like if you're if you've ever auto aimed in one of those tank control games with re and like you're facing one direction and you get into the aim mode and your character just kind of like side moonwalks and points like yeah. directly at them yeah so yeah that's probably it um <laughs> I like it. I mean, because if you want the more, you know, the great amount of difficulty, it's there for you. Um, yeah. At least now with uh, the more modern games. Which I I do not. Like, I, as an adult, do not have time to play as many games anymore. So I just would like to experience the story. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, give me like a polished package here kind of, you know, I'd like some challenge, um, you know, and... Uh, yeah. But not to the point where I have to, you know, master this mechanic in order to move, in order to move forward, in yeah. a sense. Oh yeah, yeah, and that's not to like I I know that that's kind of a, a more recent discussion that people have been having about like gatekeeping people's fun or whatever. But it's like not everyone wants to play Dark Souls. Like I don't like Dark Souls. Yeah. <laughs> it's an interesting game, but I you know, and that's not to shame anyone that does like it. It's just, mm-hmm. you know, some people just have like a couple hours a week to play games and I would rather yeah. playing at my television. There, there's also like an accessibility component to that where yeah. like if I wanted my wife to play RE1, like the remake, if I turned on auto aim, she's going to have a better time, yeah. you know, than if it's not there. And she might get to experience more of the game than she would otherwise because just... Sure you have you know other other aspects of it that are challenging like item management and etc there's enough there like initially even without like a small mechanic change um yeah it's one of those times where uh, it's kind of i don't know it, it's like an argument for argument's sake um yeah because if you want to play the original i mean it's still there um oh yeah yeah, and these days, if you wanted to mod any kind of game, at least in the PC environment, to make it harder, like have at it. There's there's tons of them. <laughs> Interesting. Um, Just looking at that box cover art, though, briefly because I had it on my screen there. It's it's really odd the way he mirrors the image. Like he's got his face and his eyeball are huge on one side, but he's got two of the exact same spiders basically on both sides, and then that little eyeball that you kind of see like in the shadow yeah it's repeated several times over it's almost like um like a modeled uh psychological profile image where like you have an ink blot oh yeah like a rorschach test yeah it has like like a a rorschach kind of ink blotty kind of thing to it because there's enough dissonance between the two at least with the shadows that they do vary a little bit but there is a lot of symmetry there well it kind of looks like the resident evil um seven cover art almost in terms of the mirroring like worship. yeah yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah um and then i think having that that mirroring 
and then having his eyeball being so much huger on one side yeah. <laughs> kind of jars with that symmetry. Also, if you look at his eye, his eye looks a lot like that little eye thing that you see in the shadows kind of around. It has like the same kind of bulbous, tiny yeah. pupil kind of thing going on. Oh, yeah. Um, and yeah, like I, and I guess we should include the remake stuff in here as well. Um, because I, I, I looked into it and it, it's interesting to me that it was, I don't, cause I vaguely re recall this because I think, um, sometime around my birthday, maybe, uh, like my brother got me this for GameCube because he had oh, a GameCube. Great. It yeah. was one of those things where it's like, um, you know, he's giving me a gift, but it's because he wants to play it because he had the GameCube. <laughs> um, because it was apparently ex exclusive originally. Oh yeah, yeah, we can we can touch on that as well. Um, you know, and and how how much of it do you think was fiddled with for the the remake? Um, you mean from like an experience standpoint or like a new game mechanics development? Um, I would gather there's a lot of differences, um, between yeah, I, the two. Yeah. Well, so it was completely remade, like, yeah. like the remake would suggest, um, mm -hmm. specifically because Shinji Mikami did not feel that the graphics in the original had aged well, um, and did not look good like the ports of two, three and code Veronica. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine watching it? Like playing the game at the time and sort of just ignoring the the campy kind of feel uh, of like the voice acting and some of the animations. Thinking too on your comment of like him rejecting the um, you know the three um, D motion capture because mm -hmm. if you look at some of the old animations, like the characters move their hands like they're just like two degree pivots when they're talking mm -hmm. and they just kind of go like that. So it's like yeah. It almost because they're just frame models. They're yeah, like, yeah, yeah. They're just like moving them and then having them in that because they don't have like a a complicated mesh on there, and it sort of goes along with the aesthetic. Um, yeah. Looking back at it now, it feels like like a fan made game. Really, it's almost kind of. It what does. It feels I mean, like. it looks like a. Um, there's a channel that I think Capcom eventually had taken down, where mm -hmm. a guy, an artist, would would demake games. Mm -hmm. So like he demade Uncharted to look like uh, Tomb Raider. <laughs> oh god. Yeah, but he demade um, Silent Hills to look like Resident Evil. Oh okay. Um, and yeah, I think Capcom hit him with a, a takedown notice, and then YouTube canceled his channel. Poor guy, Rip. Rip man. Um, Sorry. There's but always yeah, Vimeo, I guess. Well, like, the fascinating thing about this being a remake to me is that... So, uh, in 2001, in January, production began, and it released mm -hmm. in March of 2002, right? Mm -hmm. They only had four programmers working on it. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> on the remake? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, because Mikami at the time was making um, four. And so mm -hmm. they kind of needed, I guess Capcom needed something to grease their coffers, right? Um, That's really odd to think about. Because um, playing the remake and having played 4 recently, like, the remake is so polished. 
um, from like an animation perspective. I'm not sure if they've touched things up since the original GameCube release, but it's a yeah. really polished experience. Well, like they they did a lot of like quality of life improvements that that are something that you would appreciate you know mm-hmm. like like they expanded the inventory they put defense items um separate uh, mm. so it wasn't taking up so much space in your inventory oh the inventory after having played like seven and specifically eight recently and going back to oh, even yeah. the remakes inventory it's like wow this is so limited uh and having to run back and forth it really really <laughs> is um <laughs> It's a it's it's a feature, basically, I guess. Well, like one of the weird things that came out of the, the remake is mm-hmm. because they, they did change a fair amount of it um, mm-hmm. is they wanted to make enemies invisible. But at the last minute decided that this would change too much of the original story. And I, I couldn't find anything else that indicated why they would have wanted that to be invisible. I don't I do know it's a feature in the remake. You yeah. can activate it. Like after beating, I think maybe the game with both Chris and uh, Jill, like you get invisible enemies again. I don't know how that would make any sense from a lore standpoint. No, no. But I mean, but that does bring up the possibility of ghost zombies, which I'm I'm pining for in the future, because that's that's the next thing. Capcom's got to make it weird. Yeah. Because like, you remember eight, like eight gets weird. Um. Yeah. It gets weird. We'll we'll discuss that. <laughs> um, the uh, wait, know, wait, no, we're gonna we're gonna we'll discuss it. So we, in, you in know, we're, later, yeah. yeah, yeah. So we can get on the same page about how awesome it is. Obviously, um, the uh, <laughs> so the the zombies also come back to life after they're killed. Uh, they changed all of the puzzle designs. Uh, they had a steering control scheme designed specifically for this because the GameCube controller has uh, a separate right trigger. Yeah, yeah. Um, which I had to stop and look up a picture of a GameCube controller to be like, oh, yeah, that, that was there. <laughs> yeah, was it the little yellow nub? Is that the one you're thinking of? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... Uh, there was a Lisa Lisa Trevor subplot cut from the game. I don't remember what Lisa Trevor subplot was. So oh yeah, we can go into that or uh, um, there. Uh, faces on the characters were actually based on the real people, and they actually used mocap this time. Um, the interesting thing: the male characters are a conglomeration of several different actors, mm-hmm. reportedly, whereas the females they just found. I you remember so. who those actors were? There's a couple, and I know for some of them, it's not exactly confirmed. Mm. As like, oh, it's definitely this guy and this guy. But I guess fan consensus is like, yeah, it's these two. Um, oh, and I think okay. for, for some of them, it is confirmed. Like, yeah, it's an amalgamation of these two actors. And some of them, I think it's a little unclear. Or at least not specifically unclear, but not like verified. Right. Whereas the uh, the females, it was just more like they found whatever hot chick they liked and they just copied her face car punch <laughs> of course that's mm-hmm. the, the, i mean yeah it's video game development in the 2000s what do you expect <laughs> yeah yeah there's probably yeah um so interestingly this game the remake actually got a 91 in metacritic um mm-hmm. 
you know and then they've they've released a bunch of remasters it's no longer gamecube exclusive um most recently they did a high def remaster um for switch in 2019 yeah i wonder if that's using because i've i've played the remake on my pc recently but also years and years ago and the hd edition was like a bump up from the original i want to say like 480p or something like that of the gamecube scale which would have been like the original you know uh published resolution and then they upped it yeah they did an hd remaster on windows in 08 yeah yeah Mm -hmm. to to go with a a wii version and ps3 and 360 Mm -hmm. and all that Mm mm-hmm yeah, so I'm guessing that's probably they were just able to port over those assets over. Yeah. But yeah, what so what is the Lisa Trevor subplot? Because... Lisa Trevor is kind of interesting. Um the guy going off recollection, I could probably uh bring this up in case there's any gaps. But uh the the guy who designed the mansion yeah. um had a family. Um and I believe Lisa Trevor is his daughter. Um, yeah, to architect George Trevor and his wife, uh, Jessica. Um, so the guy specialized in really odd construction, eccentric designs, which obviously, having played the original game, it's like way beyond that. It's yeah. like if you, if you gave someone with that particular um, approach just like a, a ridiculous budget because <laughs> there's so much stuff that's just like why would you build this hatch in here yeah like it doesn't make any sense why is there a bridge here why is there a gate around uh you know this this giant um you know tank so uh basically um his wife and his daughter come to visit him um at the mansion or that they go to visit there first, I think, possibly. Because he's only involved in the design of the mansion. He's not really involved from like a biotech kind of mm-hmm. um, angle. And so they come over to to stay at the mansion until he arrives, George Trevor. And then they're but they're detained by Spencer's security guards. And Spencer's like the big yeah. the big head. Yeah, Oswald Ancho. Spencer, yeah. And uh, they take them down into the underground, like, lab areas. They experiment on them. And Lisa um, gets injected uh, with the strain of the A and type B strains of the progenitor virus. And I'm not going to go super into the details with the virus strains because there's so many. And they, depending on, like, the game iteration, they mention other ones that are variations. But in, in essence she causes um, mutations in inside her, at least Lisa, I, I forget what happens to her mom, where, um, you know, her mental faculties sort of decline, but she's very, very uh, damage resistant. Like they just can't kill her mm. no matter what they do. So they think she's just an excellent test subject because they can just try whatever they want with her. And so they um, sort of inject her, I think with, um, a new parasite, which um, ends up being, I have here in my notes, because I thought that was uh, pretty interesting. Um, she ends up being the initial, like, 
progenitor to the nemesis virus because she has like the tentacles. Yeah. Um, and also the G virus because you can see like a giant um, – because the nemesis is the T-type virus. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the G virus, you, so you can see the giant eyeball that's like on the on her back. Um, and so that would have been, um, gosh, I'm forgetting what else. That's not, it's not a Mr. X thing as far as the G virus in, in any case. So yeah, she, she becomes the progenitor of the G virus and then the nemesis type virus directly leading to within the new canon established there to, you know, Jill having to, you know, face nemesis later on. That's so. Right. She's important from, I think they grabbed her and they're like, oh, well, we can make some kind of storyline antecedent where, you know, Nemesis has like a basis of like where he came from other than it just being like some mystery, you know? Yeah. So that's kind of her, her history. Okay. Mm. Well, yeah. And I mean, we have, we have hit the end of my notes for this in terms of background. Yeah. So, so what, what did you want to, to a couple a, a couple notes, I think, because there's a lot of um, minutia with uh, related to Easter eggs and other things like that. But I think going through the game initially, just some of the things that struck me in context to later entries and sort of where they were designing like how they wanted their game sort of experienced the fixed camera angle. One thing I noticed, which is sort of a horror element, but you see it a lot within this game where it's like really low. It's like a very low kind of camera angle, which means that a lot of times when you're experiencing like a new environment, you can come and you're basically like just a little bit below like knee height or maybe right at knee height where a camera would be. So zombies just kind of like pan in and out. So it's it's very cinematic, obviously, which skin has been touched upon a lot. But experiencing it in that um, in that relationship, it's it's a really different game experience from the three D sort of environments um, and how those are sort of uh, set up and engineered and and have like a new kind of interactive game mechanic mechanism because you can you can be walking through like a corridor. And the camera's really low, and there's a zombie who's in the next camera change, and he's not making any noise. You can't hear him at all. Yeah. And as soon as you move to that next frame panel, he's jumping on you because, like, his back was facing you or something. So there seemed to be a lot of game design elements, you know, related to, like, of course, keeping things cinematic, but also placing things in a certain way to where dangerous literally around every corner um yeah and there's like a sense of unease through most of the game environments and a big thing i don't know why they haven't particularly brought it back um is the actually you could say in in a sense that element was brought back but a a big thing has to do with you know the uh the redheads you know the um the deadheads uh crimson heads yeah. And um, how every zombie that gets eradicated, unlike in a lot of the other games, other than some of the later mechanics, um, like we see in uh, the RE2 remake and et cetera, like having the Crimson Heads makes every 
enemy you put down like a potential even more dangerous enemy. And so having to dodge them, like, okay, if I don't want to have to burn this enemy later, which if you want to burn them, like you have to have the tank of, uh, or, you know, the flask of fuel, and then you need the lighter and you're taking up two slots. Yeah. So you really have to be there and like, you know, have to go back and forth if you want to hit an enemy that you've taken down in order to burn them or just risk it. Cause they kind of have like an, like a, an auto sword timer based on when they generate into new crimson heads, which they will, if, if the body's there, it's probably going to crimson head after some period of time. Yeah. Um, and so those are terrifying because they're so fast and tough and you really have to, especially in the harder difficulties, you got to use like a shotgun or something to take them down. Uh, cause they're just too fast and resistant for you to try to take down, um, with the pistol, unless you get lucky and like their head explodes for some reason. Um, so revisiting areas, which is a big part of this first game becomes even more fraught with danger when you have the fact that these guys can regenerate into crimson heads. So the entire game experience is a very tense one. Um, whether you decide to leave the zombies there and you're not a pro at dodging them, so you're just kind of like having to run past them and scoot, or you decide to try to take them down and then just wait till they potentially either become a crimson or you have to backtrack to one of your item boxes in order to sort of lim- eliminate them. So the danger is like always present. And I think unless you're on... Yeah, um, even on the lower difficulties, like as far as like normal... I don't think you have enough fuel to take care of all the zombies that you, you put down because each tank has like two refills on normal difficulty. And so even if you wanted to make like, okay, I want this completely safe experience, you know, I want to destroy them all. And then I would just want to be able to like solve the puzzles. It's not going to get like that. Um, and then you kind of put in the fact that revisited areas later in the game you know, windows can explode or birds are suddenly appeared. And so there's never really a sense where you can relax um, in the first yeah, game as far as the remake. Yeah. 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 It's, it's a lot like, you know, like a haunted house, like a horror mansion kind of thing. Um, except, you know, there's an element of danger because you could possibly die. So it, comparing how different that game experience was, it's... Uh, yeah, it's definitely more more tension themed, I would say, than like horror because you're just you know, tense and you're trying to get through these different areas and you're having to backtrack with like the element of danger just kind of always being there, which is yeah. um, interesting. Yeah, no, well, and, and it's interesting how game design has changed in the 26, 25, 26 years that this game has come out just because... Um, you know, it, it, it's interesting to play the director's cut that's on the PlayStation mini, which I don't mm-hmm. know if you have or not. Um, it's adorable. I've, I've seen them before, but I don't have it. It's well, so it's the director's cut. That's not the dual shock version because the dual shock controllers are not included with the PS mini. Yeah, and yeah. so it's, it's amazing how difficult and how tense that game is 
after all of the the um, luxury and comforts that that modern gamers have, mm -hmm. um, having to to deal with the tank controls on a D pad and <laughs> fidgeting around with a very tiny inventory that you have no way of expanding. <laughs> <laughs> oh it's and controls. like you said the uh the uh crimson heads mm -hmm. yeah it's um you know you got zombies bursting through doors if you leave them like in a room and you were able to like escape i know there's one that's yeah. like in a bathroom environment yeah and if you don't shoot them and kill them you can just run out there but eventually you're gonna have to go to that hallway and he's gonna bust out of that door again which um RE2 has a segment that's kind of like that in the original, not the remake, where you're you walk through a door and then you hear like that dun 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 dun. Yeah. And then there's the zombies that are like Arr! and one of them like gets to pass at least one of them I think gets to pass through the door and so you have to kind of deal with that situation. So it was fun to see them revisit that mechanic. Uh, in, in the remake, because obviously the original RE2 had been out for a couple years. Um, yeah, there's something really uh, crystallized about the RE1 remake in that you can't really, in my mind at least, you can't really touch or change things about the remake without sort of transforming it into being more like one of the other games. Yeah. It, it's just like survival horror, item management, um, fixed camera angles where you don't know what's around that corner and you can't see and having that autonomy taken away from you, it's mm -hmm. just another like stress tension inducing element. And it does have looking at it again, it does have a very, even more so now because the environments are they're uh, so well put together and designed in, in the remake, like a very point and click kind of vibe. Like you have these 3D models, but if you remove the 3D models and you just said like, look for like an item or element in this screen, like yeah. that's just, it's just point and click. Yeah, you know, exactly. you're just it's trying just to solve like puzzles. Game. Yeah. Yeah. And even all the little puzzle segments, like those could be in a point and click game. Because yeah. you're just like moving knob stuff around. And so it's, uh, yeah, it's it's an interesting mashup of like if you had a little bit more autonomy in a point and click environment, um, but you have like 3D models. So it's like a pseudo kind of 3D sort of a pastiche sort of environment. So yeah, very different. Um door loading transitions um which are always fun the shark tank tub section i don't think we need to go through like the entire plot of the game but there there were a couple things that stick in my mind um the shark tank is great the fact that richard gets eaten by a shark potentially my name being richard uh, yeah. it still breaks my heart whenever that happens and he saves your life um I don't know, There's the battle a, with the tyrant at the very end is pretty tense. Like, that one sticks out in my head. Yeah, yeah. Because you're kind of just, uh, I guess, waiting for the um, the the rocket launcher to kind yeah. of be thrown at you. Yeah. So you just have to survive till that happens. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I think on the higher difficulty, 
uh, was looking, he can uh, swat away your first rocket launch. Um, oh, I don't really? know if he can do that on the lower. Yeah, but on the higher one, you have you have more than one uh, rocket to launch. And that first one you throw at him, he can just like swat it away. There's an animation for that. And it's just like, what? I got to hit him again. Um, and of course, he's, you know, he's very powerful. So it's, it's a tense situation. So at least for me with RA1, um, I guess to kind of summate my experience and interpretation of it, it's, it's a great game. There's things about the the game design choices that I don't exactly endear me to it, but changing those would change like the tension elements and would change, you know, what, what they're going for, you know, as far as design and experience. Like I don't like having a super limited inventory. Yeah. It's experiencing eight and like, really having a very robust inventory is like, well, do I really want to have to keep on backtracking? Um, <laughs> I mean, there's you know, that, yeah. when it's like clear ac- across the mansion, I know there's a dead head in that other hallway that I just, I, I didn't want to take care of, but that's part of the game experience like that tension and then having to make choices like, okay, what am I going to have in my inventory right now? And then realizing that no, you did need the valve at that time, you know, go back, go get the valve. You suck. Why didn't you remember that? And, um, <laughs> or like the plant food, you make it all the way to the, to the plant and the fountain, but you don't have the plant food to give it to, uh, to try to get rid of it and get past. Then it's like, Oh, so I, I guess as an adult with limited time and, uh, trying to get through having to backtrack, Whereas just being able to access like item, you know, items where from wherever, or at least have like a greater inventory. It's like, oh, really? Like, I get why this is here, but I don't want to have to spend another 10 minutes backing track over. So, yeah, great game. Um, yeah, that's pretty much all I can, it, I can think to say it about it. There's just a lot of um, media around it, too. Um, it, mm. it, it was one of those games that that cropped up kind of like gta where it's like is this okay for kids to play because it's like (laughs) the assumption was that kids were the only people playing video games you Um, know which i guess you know all the responsible adults doing responsible adult things like depleting the ozone layer and destroying the economy like they're too busy doing that to play video games you know yeah so they know um, it's only kids that are playing it. Well, I don't know if you remember. I I don't know who made them, um, but I remember there being comic book magazines um, that I had the first like couple of issues of. Oh, that's interesting. Um, let's see. It was not the manga. You know what I found that I wasn't even looking for when I was curious as to why I left for dead originally wasn't around finding the comic book series for left for dead. Um, I did not realize that that was a thing. It's like a, it's like a digital, like online comic thing. I think to sort of fill in the gaps, maybe either between one and two or to provide some more backstory for two. And, uh, they were really entertaining. Okay. Mm -hmm. Holy shit. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so on Amazon, they have it. Um, and I wish that I still had my copy of it. Uh, so, oh, uh, Wildstorm put it out. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Jim Lee did the cover. Uh, there was Aww. a lot of interview with people. Um, yeah, Buy New is uh 489.95 jesus i mean is that amazon like bot prices uh this is through culture dealer okay so this isn't like amazon bots that raise up the price no i mean this is a four they have four used that are you know 99.99 oh, um, i totally remember this being a thing yeah looking at the and cover I'm, I'm looking at the covers of them and i, I had the first four issues because I, I definitely had the the cover with the clear and the um submachine gun yeah number five i don't think i've ever seen the cover for number five i've seen the one for number one and i think i remember seeing that like highlighted in like wizard magazine or something at the time yeah and i haven't seen i think maybe this for number two I've seen that cover before. I have never seen number three, number four, number five, especially. Wow. Uh, let's see. Yeah, I guess I only had the first four. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I've never seen the, the one for five. Man, the things you, you have as a kid that you wish you had as an adult. My youth. Oh, wait, no. Sorry. Hope. <laughs> hope <laughs> <laughs> don't have any of that anymore <laughs> oh you know i was hearing Wildstorm and jim lee you know, it just brings back memories yeah uh, memories of 1998 mm-hmm. um, oh, what a time <laughs> Wildstorm. have they just been brought in uh they're under i think dc now yeah yeah so they founded 92 and then four years ago, they got a revival. I wasn't sure if they were uh, out still anymore, or they were just brought back in. Interesting. Yeah, The Wildstorm by Warren Ellis and John Davis Hunt that reimagined the Wildstorm universe. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Everybody <laughs> wants Wildcats again. I'm sorry for any Do Wildcat we? fans. It's not 1993. <laughs> I mean that aesthetic is just so it's it's funny to think about too because golden age and silver age uh at least particularly for marvel like those aesthetics have a place and you kind of get where they're coming from but no i don't know who's asking for lots of pockets anymore um yeah the whole pocket look was very i mean i know 100 percent that was rob liefeld yeah, lots of pockets and just like very wet looking characters with hood. Yeah, everyone just kind of glistened. Yeah, have glimmers. Right. Yeah, all the fans of these series, of Wildcats in particular, just gonna. Oh, I remember watching this. Wildcats had a uh, um, cartoon. Yeah, it was on uh, USA or something like that. Yeah, I, re- I remember that. Yeah, I, I did watch that. I think the guy that helped out with the. Uh... Or maybe designed Eon Flux worked on it. Okay, that makes sense. Um, we've we've gone pretty far astray here. <laughs> at this point. So yes, RE One, oh. great game. 
yeah very interesting um it's an interesting uh, relic like i i don't really like if you want to watch youtube videos of it i feel like that's a much more enjoyable experience now unless you want to like get your hands on it and actually you know play it i think for people you know if you if you enjoy the challenge and you really enjoy going through that if you're like a mechanics based person i, I think there's there's a lot of different kinds of gamers yeah. some people are are heavy mechanics based from like a physical standpoint um and so being able to dodge and like run past the zombies and like conserve your ammo and play it on super hard that sort of challenge really engages them and i feel like um a more casual sort of normal playthrough is more like okay yeah this is the challenge i get to experience the storyline i get to experience like um these environments and so it's it's almost cinematic in yeah. in sort of initial feel and i think that's more in line where i'd want to do that that kind of approach okay well i think that wraps us up on this one um yeah, re2 uh let me say real quick before we sign out the uh so there are our sponsor um <laughs> flappy bags are you sick of having bags that are too small and don't have any extra space in them well that's not a problem with flappy bags flappy bags are guaranteed to be the flappiest <laughs> bag you own and you can fit whatever you need inside them call one nine thousand flappy bags now <laughs> um on top of flappy bags being the <laughs> sponsor that i was not aware of um last we, minute that's why I, I got here late i was negotiating with them on the, on the phone the uh the current book club book is uh brandon sanderson's elantris which was stewart's pick um we'll talk about that in a little bit so keep reading that and we'll see you guys next episode for RE2. Bum, bum, bum. And, and the remake. The remaking. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> <laughs>